views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Are you ready to stop stress, anxiety, and low self-esteem from ruining your life? Join award-winning author and breakthrough expert Dr. Friedman Schaub for Empowerment Radio as he addresses some of the most difficult challenges in our day-to-day lives. Find out how you can use the power of your mind to overcome self-sabotaging patterns and build a solid foundation of confidence and self-respect. Learn cutting-edge tools to switch out of survival mode and approach every day with greater ease, joy, and purpose. Here is your host on Empowerment Radio, Dr. Friedman Schaub. Welcome to Empowerment Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Friedman. And, well, how have you felt lately? Have you, just like most of us, felt stressed out? Or have you felt somehow distracted by the news? Now, speaking about the news, I have to say, usually I try to avoid watching most of it. But when I saw Notre Dame in Paris burning, that was a big stab to my heart. Me and my wife have spent a lot of time at Notre Dame, and it's just one of the most sacred places in the world. And when I saw these towers just engulfed by flames, something internally really made me tear up. I just felt like a friend was in trouble. But what made me even more moved was when I saw all these people gathering around and chanting and serenading the, this amazing church and then they were forming these, uh, these chains of people protecting those treasures that were carried out to, to save them. I just thought it was a, a wonderful display of how much this place, whether you know we are Christian or believers or anything, doesn't matter. There is something that touches us about a place like this that has been withstanding so much. French Revolution, World War II, and now this fire. So it stressed me out a little bit, I have to admit, and it really touched me deeply. And it was nice to see that everyone I talked to and even people that talked on TV about it really felt something inside of them was, was, you know, resonating or was hurting because of that. Now, considering that our world is full of news and full of just, uh, you know, seems like a little bit, uh, trials and tribulations, ups and downs, many people feel stressed, anxious, and afraid, and many people are looking for solutions. And one of the solutions that has been coming up into the forefront of myself as well was meditation. Now, I have been trying to meditate about 35 years ago uh, and failed miserably, I thought, well, let's do it in the bathtub. That's really nice. And usually two things happened. One is that I got really frustrated because I couldn't shut my mind off. And then after 10 minutes, I fell asleep and almost drowned. And so at some point, I just gave up and felt like, you know, it's meditation is not for me. So it took me 10 more years to finally go back to meditation. And this was through yoga, and especially Kundalini yoga and and then I learned also a more Buddhist form of uh, meditation when I joined the Shambhala Center in Seattle. And so I gradually understood more 
that meditation is something that is not a light switch. It is really something that is, in some ways, a gentle training of your mind. It just allows your mind to act out. It allows your mind to clean house. It allows your mind eventually to settle down and relax. And it doesn't happen by with the first time, at least not for me. It took me about six months to finally enjoy meditation. Before that, it was a little hard to just always bring your mind back. Now, there is a specific form of meditation, which is mindfulness, that has been really very popular. It has been written about, published. There has been research done with that showed the benefits of this form of meditation, benefits on lowering blood pressure, stimulating the immune system, you name it. Also, when it comes to emotional challenges, this form of mindfulness has been extremely helpful. But what is actually mindfulness? And I was always really just stamping it up as, well, this is when you sit and you watch your breath and you watch your thoughts and then they float away and then you bring it back. And so I was a little bit maybe nonchalant about it and didn't really see that mindfulness is a whole way of living. And it reminded me of a teacher in Shambhala who said the best meditations he has is when he does the dishes because he simply integrates the meditative way of being into his daily life. And now how do we do this? And what are the principles? And, and is this something that is actually even more desirable than sitting 15 minutes on the pillow and shutting everything off and then going back into your hectic lifestyle? Can meditation be an everyday foundation for your life? And that is what we talk about today with my very dear guest and expert, Keith Mc. Oh my goodness! I just Keith Mc. Say it again, Keith. Please help me. McPherson. 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 Well, he wrote the book "Making Sense of Mindfulness." Now, Keith is a very interesting person in himself. Not only the author of a fascinating book that I can highly recommend, but he has a whole story behind him because. He is an artist, a musician, has traveled the world and has also been struggling with his own emotions and found mindfulness as one way to reconnect to himself. So we're going to go on to an exciting journey with Keith. So thank you so much, Keith, for being on the show. Thank you for having me here, Friedman. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Well, Keith, I mean, I have to say your life has been quite interesting. So you have been a, a musician, and uh, and I think that was like your original passion. Is that right? It was. I uh, actually, when I was a kid, knew, like about five years old, I knew that I wanted to just play guitar and entertain audiences all around the world. Well, all my uh, friends were playing with Tonka trucks and, you know, things kids do. I would stand on my parents' uh, kitchen table and uh, I had a fake Fisher-Price guitar and just used to pretend I was putting on concerts. So I knew from a very early age that that was what I wanted to, to pursue in the beginning. But yeah. see, I had that dream too. We had even a band, which we were called when we were 10 years old, the Hot Babies. And we did exactly oh. the same thing, Fisher-Price guitar, we did lip syncing. But unfortunately, we never got any further than that. So there must be more inside of you that kept you going. 
Yeah, well, definitely. It just one thing led to the next. And, you know, this journey for me really got serious in the seventh grade um, because I was I was failing French class. We I'm from Canada and in Canada, we study French at school and it was my um, worst subject, to say the least. I was failing and I went one day after school to my French teacher and I asked if I could do an extra project to, to get my grade up. And my teacher was kind enough to give me an extra assignment. So I went home that night and I'd been practicing guitar. My mom had this old guitar around at our house. And that particular night as I was practicing, it dawned on me that I could translate an old Bob Dylan song into French and record it on a cassette tape, if you remember those back in the day. And uh, I handed it in and my teacher gave me a, an A plus on the assignment which got my mark in French up to a D minus, which was fantastic. <laughs> and uh, it was a pivotal moment because she came back and said, do you want to sing this song in front of the school? And I don't know about you, Friedman, but the last thing I wanted to do in the seventh grade was get up and sing in front of my entire um, school population. My voice was cracking. I had an awkward crush on Stephanie, but there was something in me that just knew this was the time to do it. So I got up. I started playing my song in front of the school in the gym one day. They all piled in and my worst nightmare came true. I started playing and all my friends, all my classmates started making fun of me and, and laughing. And before too long, the whole school was in chaos. And I remember this moment clearly as I was standing up there trying to get through this song. It was really one of the first times that I noticed in my head that this voice came up that was just screaming at me, run for the hills. Like this was such a bad idea. You're failing. This isn't going well. And despite all that, um, in the middle of it all, I was reminded of another song that I just learned. And it was um, a children's song called The Cat Came Back. And I broke into that in the middle of this total nightmare. And before too long, the entire school, the energy in the gym shifted and everyone in the gym started singing with me. And I remember looking out and seeing that and thinking, this is so powerful. Like I could do this for the rest of my life. And little did I know when I look back now and we're talking about mindfulness and what does this have to do with meditation and mindfulness? I look back now and this was actually my entryway into it because what I've come to find as a musician is that um, when a good song comes on and everybody starts singing, it's a universal language and there's something under the surface that reminds us that we are all connected and it doesn't matter where you come from, what the color of your skin is, where you were raised, um, dare I say political party in North America. <laughs> it's like <laughs> underneath the, the surface, we are all connected. And I think that that's really what's drawn me into this life purpose of music and now doing a lot more speaking and, and teaching and leading um, the mindfulness work. So it's, um, been quite a journey, as you say. Well, that sure. is very interesting. First of all, my first girlfriend was also Stephanie, so here's another parallel. But uh, wow, <laughs> I'm not That's sure so if right. I actually made it <laughs> with Stephanie or not, or if it just remained on the crush. But uh, yeah. what I find so fascinating is because you were very successful as a musician. You actually made it to Canadian Idol, and you were one of the last ones standing and you had also a career as a musician traveling. And, but what you write is that this was also a time of loneliness and that you really yes. felt that maybe all this glamour and all this wonderful lifestyle that it's supposed to be may not have exactly panned out like this. Tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. Well, two things happened. I, I finished um, Idol and I wrote it down to... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I made it down. 
Okay. I made it down to the, uh, the top 10 on, on Canadian Idol. And um, it was that week that I, I got, they call it eliminated from the show. And I realized that it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. There was a lot of um, ego. And when I say ego, it was just this feeling of like always needing to um, be more, get more, get the approval. It, it was, um, I just, I went through a real depression in that time. I was like, there's something that's just not working right. And what's up here. And, and right around that time, I was also um, playing in a band and we were traveling along the East coast of North America on tour. And it was right around the time when the music industry was changing, where people were no longer buying CDs and the invention of Apple music and Spotify were emerging. And so, I mean, we were playing for next to nothing and just really struggling on the road. And I remember myself just feeling um, like the, the question mark of like, why am I even doing this? Like, this is so hard and excruciatingly painful. And I feel like I'm going through the motions of my daily life on tour, playing a show for like three people in a club and then driving all day to the next club to make like $5. And it was just, it was really unfulfilling. And I think what I, where, where the moment happened for me that kind of the turning point was my mom had actually given me, um, a CD when they still were existed. And, um, she said, I want you to listen to the CD when you're on tour in your rental car. And I'm looking behind you and I can see a book from Dr. Wayne Dyer. Good choice. And it was a Wayne Dyer CD. It was a lecture CD of Wayne. It was his power of intention CD. And I, I remember just on a whim one day on that tour, putting the CD on in the car and going, okay, I'll give it a shot. I'm just, this is my last hope. And Wayne started talking about the power of intention and just this whole mindset of, you know, you, you are what you think about. And when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And it was like a light bulb went on and the rest of that tour, just something energetically shifted. Um, I remember uh, showing up at the next show and it was a full house and we weren't expecting it. We were expecting another three people and just the right people started coming in. And it was like this kind of feeling of there is some magic going on here. And I'm not sure exactly what it is, but whatever this CD is doing and this guy named Wayne Dyer, there is something that's very powerful about this process. So I think that's when things shifted for me. Um, but to say the, the least, it was a struggle, especially that transition from thinking I'm going to be a musician the, my, the rest of my life to going like, this is not working and something's got to change. And, and going through that, it was... Uh, Quite a challenge. This is actually the power of intention that you see behind me. And uh, the power of intention was also incredibly important on my journey. And so, yeah, I, I, this is just, you know, something when you listen to Wayne's world, uh, not world, word, <laughs> and you actually really feel like, yeah, something is shifting in your thinking and in your belief system. And it's, uh, it's very empowering and very freeing. And we'll talk more about this after the break. Stay tuned. What the fun do I do with my shui? Are you ready to hear what your space is about you and what you're communicating to the outer world about your inner dialogue? Are you ready to create harmony in your surroundings? Then join us on Clear Speak Talk Radio with Dr. Net Wolf on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Tune in every fourth Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern for current IT integrated with ancient knowledge to boost the broadcast of your space. Visit JeanetteWolf.com for more information on this amazing approach. 
people often ask, what does it mean to thrive? On Thrive by Gen Radio, it means body confidence, mind fulfillment, and soul synchronicity. Create synchronicity with God and learn as Jen shares action steps and real stories that will inspire you to be unstoppable in fulfilling your purpose. Tune in live each Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com and visit JenniferZellup.com to thrive with Jen. Welcome back to Empowerment Radio. We are here with Keith McPherson, who wrote the book, Making Sense of Mindfulness. And before the break, we just talked about his life as a musician and his life-changing moment to get from his mom the gift of Wayne Dyer's book or CD set, The Power of Intention. Now, Keith, tell us a little bit how you then stumbled from there into mindfulness and and how these first experiences were for you. Sure. Well, um, right around that time where, when things were shifting, I was also going through a breakup with uh, a girl that I thought I was going to marry and found out that she had cheated on me three times. And so it was a dark time. <laughs> Let me just say it was dark. And um, so one of the things I did when I finally decided, okay, this is done, is I, I started teaching uh, yoga. Well, I started going to yoga classes and it turned into uh, I ended up teaching yoga. And at the end of one of the classes, a friend of mine came up to me and said, you know, I'd really love for you to lead some uh, professional development workshops for a group of teachers that mm. are looking to bring um, mindfulness into the classroom. And me being a, a total yes person, being raised in that culture of music where you just always say yes because you don't know when the next gig is coming, um, I said, oh, yeah, I would love to lead some mindfulness sessions for these teachers. And one thing led to the next, and I found myself in the classroom and um, in front of a group of teachers. And I realized in that moment, I don't really know very much about mindfulness. All I know is how to teach yoga. So I had to really, like, make a lot of stuff up in that first session. And it was very awkward. I was, like, just kind of faking it till I made it. And um, something stuck with me around this word mindfulness. And this was probably about 10 years ago. And I just kept, I, after that first workshop, I was surprised they invited me back to do another one. And so I, I was just um, naturally kind of guided into this practice. And at the time, mindfulness was really not uh, a buzzword like it has been these days. It was um, very preliminary and people really didn't know what it meant. And either did I. <laughs> and so I went on a quest to really discover what does it mean um, to practice and to be in this state of mindfulness. What is this exactly? And so um, it took me about five years to write this book that you mentioned in the intro. Um, it was something that came from a series of uh, studies and workshops and presentations that I'd given. And most notably, um, I have a practice every morning that I do where I, I do a meditation. Um, I do a series of things, but one of the pieces is that I, I free flow write a page every day. And one particular morning I was up free flowing and doing my writing and my hand just took over and something took over and I just found myself continuing to write. And about three pages in, I got this cue, this intuition that just informed me that I would be writing a book about this. And I have to tell you, Friedman, like the first reaction was like, 
what do you know about writing a book? You've never written a book before. And um, I call it the saboteur in my book, this mindset of I can't or I'm not good enough. And it tells me all the things that are not going to work out. And so I was up against a lot of resistance, but I was also very curious. So I kept going back to the page every day and writing. And two years later, I had handwritten this book. It, it really channeled out and became what I now call making sense of mindfulness and really making sense of what this buzzword is all about. So that's a little bit about the story of how I got into this <laughs> very organically, unexpectedly. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's also something that seems almost like, you know, it was meant to be. It was more like yes. the book was choosing you versus you choosing yeah. the book. Now, yeah. here, I mean, if you're saying like, okay, what is mindfulness all about? What is mindfulness all about? I mean, do you have yeah. like a... Because again, as uh, someone who may have heard about mindfulness, may have done a workshop on mindfulness, but still not really sure what is actually mindfulness, it's more than just being aware of your breath. And it's more than just meditating, isn't it? Yes, it is. And there's two things I can say right away about it. One is um, the official definition that I've resonated most with around mindfulness comes from uh, an author named Susan Kaiser Greenland. She's actually um, also a children's author in the world of mindfulness. And she really made it simple for me. She said, mindfulness is paying attention in the present moment to yourself and the world around you with kindness. That's really essentially what this is about. And it sounds so preliminary on the surface. Well, of course, I'm going to pay attention in the present moment with kindness to myself and others. But when you start thinking about that in a deeper way, it's actually quite challenging <clears throat> in the present moment to practice kindness, even to ourselves. I mean, just consider how often as we go through the day, we're up in our busy brains, beating ourselves up with thoughts of, I'm not good enough. I could have done it better. Um, I'm going to fail, you know, and even just that, that awareness right there. Um, so many of us are on autopilot and we don't realize that we're, we're literally, our thoughts are beating us up instead of building us up. So this is a practice of really starting to cultivate kindness, compassion in each present moment as we go through the day and expanding our awareness. Um, I, I also want to mention here, the second part is a lot of people in my research had thought of mindfulness as another activity on their to-do list where they would be like, I did mindfulness check mark. I meditated. I sat there on the cushion and breathed for five minutes. So mindfulness done for the day. But this isn't a check mark on a to-do list. This is, as you said earlier, this is a way of being. This is a way of showing up in my life and really becoming um, aware that there's more to it than just my thinking. There's more to it than just the thinking aspect of who I am. There's a feeling center going on. There's an intuition that's informing me if I'm willing to listen. And the world around me is alive and aware and responsive and always speaking. And if I'm willing to look underneath the surface of just my internal thoughts, there is so much to pay attention to that is informing how I need to move towards my life purpose. And so there's, um, there's a lot to this practice, but it's, uh, it's definitely a way of being. And it's all about moving us into a state of more balance and less anxiety and What they find oh, it sounds like nirvana. It sounds perfect. And I can already tell you from you know, working with a lot of clients, both being present and being kind to yourself are for many just 
already huge stumbling blocks. I mean, you're putting yeah. already there something in the way of, I can never be mindful because A, I don't like myself. B, I'm so busy with everything around myself. So there needs to be a starting point. What's the starting That's point? Right. How do you get into, I guess the first point would be to be more aware and not necessarily to be more kind because kindness to oneself is way harder than kindness to others. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, when you talk about a starting point too, is uh, yeah, it's kindness to yourself. And um, one of the, the things, the entryways for me that has really made sense is um, a concept called inner dreaming. Um, to know that, first of all, everything is connected. Um, like I'd mentioned in the seventh grade, everything is, is truly connected under the surface. So to know that is important. But secondly, something called inner dreaming. Um, it's been said that everything begins as an inner dream. You know, as you look around in the space that you're in, anything that you focus your attention on was only once imagined. You know, somebody had to go into their internal imagination and dream it up from the clothes we're wearing to this chair that we're sitting on to this idea that we can talk across this platform. I mean, somebody had to dream up the concept of it. <clears throat> you know, even how we arrived here on the planet was a, an inner dream. And this is really powerful because when you think about the imagination, right? If I hear the word imagine, if I really sit with that word, I hear the words image in, image in, imagine. And in that imagine place of image in, I start tuning into, well, what am I actually dreaming about as I'm moving through the day? What are my internal thoughts? What are the images that are playing out in my mind? And so a real initial entryway is to start noticing, like the thoughts that I'm dreaming about in my mind, are they moving me towards a direction of like life purpose? And are they building me up or are they beating me up? Like I was saying, and, mm -hmm. and really just starting to notice the quality of thoughts is, is a great way to move into this practice. You know? So this could be a, a meditation form, just dreaming and noticing where your dreams lead you. Because, you know, again, yeah. mindfulness, like other meditation form are seen often as a discipline. You yes. discipline your mind. It's almost like you are strangling your mind to finally be quiet. So letting your mind free float and dream it up, that sounds very different than what we yeah. usually associate with, with mindfulness meditation. So how do you connect yeah. those? I mean, do you first sit and then dream or how does that, how does it work for you? Yeah. Well, for me, there's two ways to approach this. I think for the very initial beginner, there needs to be a formal practice and desire to do it. And so there's, there's a formal way to, to integrate mindfulness, which is literally um, getting still, preferably seated, right? And literally just um, tuning the mind into one moment at a time, one thought at a time, one breath at a time, uh, one one activity at a time. Um, so in the formal way of this, it would be literally sitting and focusing on, okay, I'm just going to, for the next three minutes, I'm just going to watch my breath come in and go out, right? This is a, an entryway into this inner dream place because we are so stimulated by the outside world and all the noise. And so to go inward, when I say going into that inner dream place consciously, where you're aware of what you're thinking about, can be very challenging in our world if you're focusing all of your attention on 
what your uh, iPhone is telling you, like where you should shop and what you should think and how you should behave. So it's like shutting out the outside noise by just taking a few breaths, getting yourself into a state of, okay, I'm present. And in that moment, um, then you have the opportunity to start tuning into um, what I call your intuition or this place of inner dreaming and, and really noticing the quality of thoughts. So there's a whole process, mm. but a very entryway. And this is, I think, where a lot of mindfulness practice um, gets taught is just this entryway to slowing down, slowing down the overthinking mind, really focusing on one thing at a time. I mean, that's preliminary. And then from there, you can start building consciously. What am I thinking about? What am I dreaming about? What am I being called to create in my life? But it's very hard to do that if um, we're letting all this outside noise tell us how we should be and what we should think. And, yeah. um, well, there are a lot yeah. that already, you know, we need to address. For example, many people have the experience of the slowing down is actually more speeding up of the mind because as soon as we close our eyes and sit on the pillow, the mind is running like a wild horse and not necessarily slowing down on command. But we'll talk yes. about more of this after the break. What can you do? And, and where does a kindness come in? Because this is something I'm, really uh, a big advocate for to be more kind. So I love to hear more about how you practice kindness with yourself. We'll come right back after the break. Dream on, lie high and live adventurously on The Laura Meeks Show. Tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio as host Laura Meeks guides you in finding your unique gifts and bringing them to life. As a certified life coach, speaker, and veteran bomber pilot for the U.S. Air Force, Laura knows how to follow a dream. She is ready to support you so you can dream on, fly high, and live adventurously. For more information on Laura and her work, visit flyhighliving.com. People often ask, what does it mean to thrive? On Thrive by Gen Radio, it means body confidence, mind fulfillment, and soul synchronicity. Create synchronicity with God and learn as Jen shares action steps and real stories that will inspire you to be unstoppable in fulfilling your purpose. Tune in live each Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com and visit JenniferZellup.com to thrive with Jen. Welcome back to Empowerment Radio. We are talking about mindfulness and making sense of mindfulness. Now, when I read uh, Keith's book, Making Sense of Mindfulness, I have to say it was really an, an eye-opening for me to just see his principles and, uh, and also see how mindfulness in his way of teaching it has that heart connection to it. Because in some ways, many uh that I've heard talking about their experiences with meditation or mindfulness or the power of now, it's more like you are approaching yourself from an observer perspective. You're more like, you know, present with yourself without judgment. You're looking at your thoughts. And you mentioned before the inner saboteur, but you're not engaging. And to be honest, it drives me nuts. 
because I don't feel that any of just observing is enough for us to get a relationship with ourselves. Now, in your book, Keith, you're mentioning the subconscious is like a child. And in many ways, you're absolutely right. I agree with that. But you cannot, when your child is acting up, just stare at it impassionately without really interacting. So what I loved mm. about your book is that kindness approach. It is that feeling of, yes, I'm actually sending also something back to myself while I'm meditating. So how would you see this in your practice? You're still in your mind, but maybe a part of you is freaking out. Let's say your saboteur says, you know, you're wasting your time or you're not going anywhere or anything like that. How do you approach that? Do you really just watch it or are you sending something back to that source? Yeah, well, initially when uh, saboteur, and just those of you watching or listening that don't know what that is, that's, it just refers to that voice in the head, that, that voice, inner voice that is telling you all the things that are going to go wrong. It's very fear-based or it might actually be that that part of you, if just a feeling that it's just like, you know, the butterflies in your stomach or the sinking in your belly of like, I'm going to fail or this isn't going well, or I'm not good enough. Um, when that comes up, what I find right away is, I mean, this is a lot of us just let that run our show. We just let the fear-based thinking run our show. Um, fear, false evidence appearing real. The saboteur makes this seem so real. So part of this practice is really noticing the difference between the saboteur, the fear-based uh, feelings or thoughts that come in and, and, and naming them as opposed to letting them run the show. That, that's just so crucial to name here because if you don't expose, I call it expose the saboteur. If you don't name the fear-based thought or feeling and become aware of it, um, it has control over you and you literally get stuck in this place of mediocrity, um, living in a place of literally being stuck like a flea in a jar, <laughs> you know? Um, oh, I got to share this too. This is so, when I was working on this book, they've done experiments on fleas and we're a lot like this when it comes to the saboteur. If you put a flea in a jar, it's going to jump right out of the jar. It's, uh, it can jump a hundred times its height. But if you put a lid on the jar, the flea jumps and hits the bottom of the lid and over time learns that hitting the bottom of the lid is not an enjoyable thing. So it over time trains itself to only jump so high as to not hit the bottom of the lid. And when you take the lid off the jar, um, the flea never jumps out again. It's trained itself to only jump so high. And for a lot of us that are stuck in these negative thinking patterns of saboteur, we end up finding ourselves literally stuck in this pattern. And, and so to get out of this is to name it, is to go, hang on a minute, is this really what my life purpose is? Is this what I'm being called to, to live? And so I think for a lot of us in this practice of mindfulness, the invitation is to name the saboteur, is to not let it take over. It's to name it, to get back into this place of, okay, I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to slow down. That's my saboteur. The crazy thing is your saboteur actually thinks it's trying to keep you safe. It thinks it's doing you a favor by showing up and protecting you. It's um. In the scientific part of this, it's really linked to the primal part of our brain that's trying to connect us um, or protect us from being attacked by lions, you know. But majority of the time, your saboteur is uh, like an overprotective parent that's trying to keep you in this very safe, protective place so you never step outside your comfort zone. So in the mindfulness practice, in my experience of this, it's like, okay, let's name the saboteur and what's beyond it. 
what's possible outside of that? And what I've come to find is there's more to us than the saboteur. In fact, there's something that I refer to in the book as our higher self, that part of us that's creative, that part of us that's connected to everything. And as we're sitting in this place of slowing down the mind and, and really tuning in, um, we end up finding that in the unconscious part of us that you referenced, the unconscious mind, there's intuition, inner teacher wisdom. There's these little whispers that pop in. Like for me in the seventh grade, when that whisper in the middle of that nightmare where I was failing and the saboteur said, run for the hills, I got this little intuition that popped in that said, play this song, it's going to go way better. And breaking into that and everybody singing along, it's like we start learning how to trust ourselves, our intuitive gut feeling, that place of inner knowing. And to access it consciously is, is really, I think, one of the main reasons why we would practice mindfulness is to start really tuning into the part of us that knows the truth, that knows that we're here on the planet um, in a place of love as opposed to fear. Um, and to really, when we talk about kindness, moving towards that place of light as opposed to dark, moving towards the kindness. And, and, you know, when we tap into the intuition, it comes from that place of kindness. It comes from that place of love. It is that. It's who we are at our essential core being. So it's um, mindfulness gives us the chance to really embody that, to live from that place. I could go on and on about this because I it's, know, it's beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. And I'm absolutely in agreement with you. And I don't like it, you know, to call the saboteur because it really doesn't want to make us miserable, but you're absolutely right. It's an overprotective aspect of us that just runs these old ideas of, you know, you're going to hit your head when you jump too high. So I think, yeah, that's definitely something that needs to be with kindness explain to that no i can jump higher and life is much more safe than you think it is but what i'm wondering is the you you mentioned in your book opening your mind but then there is also the aspect of opening the heart and i think that's yeah. where the kindness comes in you know when you really feel about uh, I, mean, i talk every day with clients that are anxious or insecure or went through traumas and depression and, and they have protected themselves by closing their heart. They do feel like, you know, there is a wall that doesn't show the world the vulnerability that I feel. And it doesn't also show me what's inside of my heart because that wall keeps everyone outside. How do you, and you always have in your book, uh, beautiful uh, practices. How do you teach people to open their hearts again even though they may be struggling with insecurity, even at the beginning, they may feel there is a lot of self-loathing going on. What are steps people can take through mindfulness to have more access to the, the beauty and the power within their hearts? Yeah, well, here's one way. And this really helped me in the beginning. Um, I think about my, my thoughts and my thinking mind. I call it the conscious mind. I think about that as one partner in a relationship. It's like one partner in a relationship. And the other partner, I think of as my heart center, um, something that is part of what I call the unconscious mind. We've got a conscious mind that's thinking thoughts all day long and making decisions. And we've got this unconscious mind, which is holding memory, feelings, intuition. Um, in a lot of ways, I think about it as the feminine part of us. Like if these really were two partners, the mind and the heart, right? The mind tends to be more of the masculine partner. It's the part of us that's, let's get this done. Let's like just take action. Let's do it. The heart center tends to be more of the feminine. It's the, 
it's that inner knowing like that mom's always no energy. I asked my mom uh, advice. She always seems to know the answer, you know? And so it's really about getting this partner, your mind to connect with this partner, your heart and have a conversation and balance. But for the majority of us, you know, in the studies they've done, 80% of people in the world are living in reactive mode, meaning they are literally up in their conscious mind exclusively overthinking, overanalyzing, saboteur. So what would happen if we invited the thinking mind as opposed to trying to run the entire show in our entire life? What if the thinking mind started learning how to listen initially to the wisdom of the heart, to the intuitive part of us that, that knows that mom's always no energy. So the practice for me deepens here where, you know, just by taking a few breaths, we start tuning in to that inner place of intuition. And so a practice I do is I, I literally close my eyes and I invite my partner, the mind to listen to my heart. And I take my hand and I place it on my heart and I take a few breaths and I just really connect to my heart. And when I find that my mind has, is listening in that state of receptivity, I have the partner in my mind, ask the heart, what do you truly want from me right now? And then I just listen. I get the mind to just listen. And the amazing thing is usually my first instinct that comes to me, it's a totally different feeling than a thought of the mind. It's like this peaceful feeling of just, oh, that's what I need. Um, I like hear what? it. And then, example. Um, example. So yesterday morning, I, I woke up, I was still in bed, and I was feeling a little off center. I just felt um, like I might be coming down with a cold or something, which is rare. And so I did this practice. I put my hand on my heart. I closed my eyes. I took a few breaths and I said, heart, what's going on here? What, what, what do I need? And my first instinct was get more sleep. So instead of rushing out of bed, which is what my mind wanted to do and get to my to-do list, I honored the heart. I, the mind went, okay. And it was, there was resistance. I'm not going to say this was easy. My saboteur was like, you don't have time to sleep in today. But my heart knew I needed to. So I, I did. I, I took an extra hour and I just thought, I'm going to honor this, this wisdom of my heart. And I got up and I went through the day and I felt way better. I felt like I got more done, less stress. It was amazing. So that's just an example of how this works. And so that when the mind starts learning how to listen and take action from the heart, as opposed to doing it all itself, these two partners come into balance. And we find that kindness is just the result self-kindness, which overflows into kindness to others, you know, genuine kindness to others. So I love that. This is really a beautiful practice. And you are certainly a person who is very auditory. So you hear, <laughs> but some people <laughs> may just feel, you know, they get more a sense of what they want rather than hearing it. Because I know that people have been trying sometimes to hear their inner voice and they are hearing nothing. But when you ask him, so what does it feel? What feels right when you make, you know, some suggestions to your heart or your subconscious on what would the day look like if I choose this or this or this? Then there is also like this where you feel drawn to, what resonates, what feels right. And so I, I guess you're also talking about being aware in mindfulness to your sensations and, you know, yes. those, those feelings of, right or tuning in or being in resonance and uh, now you said before that you know one of our problems in life is the shoulds the external shoulds that tell us we need to do this 
we need to look like this, we need to purchase this. And it sounded to me that this is exactly what you experienced at this, you know, Canadian Idol, where you felt like you should always do more and you should always stand out. Now, you don't have to be in Canadian Idol to feel exactly like this. You just have to be in social media and you already wonder, so what do I need to do to get more likes, to look more cool, to be more, you know, admired? And uh, so what do you suggest mindfulness can do to get you out of this rat race of trying to be someone for somebody you don't even know? Yeah. Well, I think mindfulness gives us the opportunity to move out of the state of um, self-improvement, which is what a lot of us are on the trajectory of. And what, what I mean by self-improvement is this idea that I always can be better. I need to do more. I need to be more. I need to get more. It's a never-ending treadmill of just like constantly, you're never satisfied. You're never fulfilled. Where the difference between self-improvement uh, and then this idea of self-acceptance, it's like there's a huge difference when we finally drop into the present moment and we realize that in this present moment, all is well and accepting this moment for what it is and knowing, of course, we've got a future ahead and we're going to move towards it, but already realizing that I'm enough. I already have everything that I need in this moment. And to think that I need something outside of this moment is actually kind of insanity, as Byron Katie used to talk about. It's like in this moment right now, all is well. Um, I think it's what mindfulness does is it brings us the it offers us the opportunity to be in the present moment, to really show up here. Um, all of the stress and anxiety that we're feeling is actually not um, of the present moment. It's um, it's something. It's a story that we're telling ourselves about the future or the past, you know, the, the future story of, I need to get more. I need the approval of people. I need them to like me. And, you know, I agree, the social media culture of telling us, I need more friends. I need more followers. You know, if I was to be totally honest with just releasing this book, I got into that. I, I found myself in this state of needing to get more followers to like my book, to read it, to, you know, and, and it became this idea of, I need to do more self-improvement. And the moment that I stopped that and I went self-acceptance here, hello, and I got present, it, there was like a deepening. There was, everything got easier. It was like there was a flow. It was um, the right, well, Friedman calls and says, will you be on the show? Um, there's just this, this natural flow that takes over as opposed to forcing. So I think mindfulness offers us this opportunity to be present. You know, you can't have fear in the present moment. Fear and anxiety and stress are of the mental concept of future or past story. Unless, of course, you're dealing with a bear in front of your house, then I guess it's appropriate. <laughs> but I agree. In our day, yeah. we don't necessarily fight uh, sable-toothed tigers anymore. But, you know, this is, again, um, what I believe a lot of people love, love to hear this concept of I am enough. I I just had a client uh, sending me a testimonial about her work and she was suicidal at the beginning. And once mm. she got this concept of I am enough, that's her new foundation. That's how she lives her life of always striving for something else, always identifying herself with others and all of a sudden realizing I'm enough. I mean, her life is completely changed and she feels transformed. And, and just that realization made a huge difference. But what I find so 
interesting is what you're saying about being present. It really reminds me of, of us as children. I remember as a child, I was completely happy-go-lucky. I was completely connected in the moment. I saw magic everywhere, and I felt enough. I felt free. But then comes school, and then comes expectations, and then comes bad grades, and so on. And so all of a sudden, you do get the message, well, you're not enough. And don't even think that you're enough because you have to do more, and you have to be more, and you have to accomplish more. And so is mindfulness as an everyday practice, bringing you back to your roots, bringing you back to almost deprogram yourself from that, what you were told, which is be more than you are. Yes, absolutely. I think what I'm finding more and more as I deepen in my mindfulness practice is this is ultimately a shedding of the ego. It's like a letting go of this, this never-ending hungry ghost that's telling me I always... Yeah, I need to be more successful and make more money and do more, be more. And we're in a culture that really, really, um, they kind of champion that. They like, they encourage us to, to success. The cultural definition of success is somebody that's made a lot of money, that has a lot of likes and friends and social circle, and they're famous. And, you know, these are things that are embedded into us unconsciously. We, we adopt them without even knowing it. And mindfulness is the return back to, okay, that's the outside world, but let me go inward here and ask myself, what is it that I'm truly being called to here? You know, I'm already enough. It's this, this realization that um, you, when you become true to who you truly are, <laughs> as opposed to trying to fulfill the agenda of somebody else, there's, there's a peacefulness that comes over us and we find ourselves way more on a path of life purpose. and living from a place of giving as opposed to just needing. And, um, oh yeah, it's a, it's a shedding of the ego. It really is. I, I want to say this ego, this has been a big thing this year. I, I remember Wayne, who was one of my teachers, Wayne Dyer, he used to talk about ego as, um, edging God out, you know? And when I, the word God has a lot of different meaning to it. Some people get a little bit cringy when they hear the word God, but what I've come to know is the word God here is, um, that state of awe. It's that you can even hear it in the sound of God. It's, it's being in that creative state of awe. Mm. And I do believe that at our essential core underneath all of these layers of separation, there's a oneness, there's a connection, there's a place we originated from and we still are. And we're going back to that is of awe, it's of oneness. And so it's learning how to, and remembering that that's who we are. And so when I say shedding the layers of ego, ego is edging us away from our essential nature, our true nature of who we are. And so this is a practice of like, literally letting go of all of those false beliefs and asking ourselves, what is it that I'm intuitively being called to? You know, and that's really essentially what's going on under the surface of mindfulness for me. Well, I always have an issue with the ego in regards to making a part of us wrong versus saying, well, what about, you know, isn't the whole idea of meditation and yoga oneness? So how can you edge out the ego and say it's wrong? when the goal is to be one. So I think we have to find some kindness for the ego too, no? Yes, yes. I, I don't think the ego is necessarily a bad thing. 
Yeah, I agree. I don't think the ego is necessarily a bad thing. I think the ego gives us the opportunity to know the difference between our true nature and what is not of that. And so that's, there's actually a gift in the ego. That's the invitation, believe, you know, is the same thing with the gift of illness, the gift yeah. of our emotions. I mean, we just are so quickly putting good or bad labels on something versus seeing, well, how can this actually help me? and support me. So yes. I'm glad that you mentioned this, the gift of the ego to also check in with yourself and ask, so who am I? Which is a part of your book, which I really loved as well, this whole chapter around I am, you know, how do I get to knowing myself? Because, you know, obviously you're saying, well, you know, you just are enough. Well, how can you know that you're enough if you really don't know who you are? So can you just give people one, uh, one little tidbit of what we can do to get more awareness of who we are, what the I am is? Sure. Well, I am are two of the most powerful words and thoughts we are thinking and saying all day long because there's no denying it. I am, you know, you are. Anything that you uh, look at is, it just simply is, you know, this conversation, this cup that I have beside me, it, it just is, I am how we fill in the blank at the end of that statement as we go through the day completely has an effect on how we experience life. So if I'm going around thinking things like I'm not good enough, well, that's, that becomes your experience in your truth because it, what comes, when, when we realize we're inner dreaming and we're creating our reality, um, that's what ends up happening. So to become conscious of how am I filling in the blank at the end of an I am statement is one of the best practices in mindfulness. And it's a living mindfulness practice. You know, am I looking at that person and thinking, I am so annoyed with them right now, or I am seeing them as my best teacher, you know? How do I choose to look at something? And um, so becoming aware, you know, a great exercise that I do often is I just take, make a list of um, money is, life is, mm. my house is, uh, my relationship is. And without overthinking it, I just fill in the blank. And I look back and I read it and I go, oh, money is hard to come by. Hang on. I don't want to be thinking that anymore. And I shift it and I go, okay, money is flowing to me freely. And at first my mind goes, yeah, right. So there's a, there's a really important distinction. It's, it's a repetition of starting to feel into what it is that you want to be true. It's like feeling that desire already fulfilled and shifting it. So it's a really neat practice to just start becoming aware of, How am I filling in the blank at the end of each neutrality? I am, or this is, this person is, or this my life is. How am I choosing to look at that? Because we get to decide ultimately how we're going to view something. And that's what's so exciting about the practice to me is that we're literally co-creating how we want it to be. But ultimately, we don't really know an answer to the I am who we are because we are so much that we don't know and so much there is still to discover that at least I personally don't really have one definition of myself because that would certainly diminish all that else can be there for me. But the practice of just seeing it as a momentary snapshot. I am this today, I'm this in the moment, and I accept this and I have kindness for this. Certainly a wonderful practice, which again, in your whole book, it's all about these kind of practices that bring us back into our center, into our core, the feet in the ground, the heart in the moment, 
the head and the stars with all the infinite possibilities available. So thank you very much for writing it. Thank you so much for talking about it. Now, how can people find the book? How can people connect to you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on this show. First of all, I'm so grateful to connect with you and I love the work you're doing in the world. It's, uh, it's, you just radiate this positivity. So I wanted to just say that, um, in terms of staying in touch, my uh, two ways, uh, if you're looking for my book, making sense of mindfulness, uh, you can find that easily on Amazon. That's probably the best place to order it and find it. Um, and my website to stay in touch with me is Keith, MacPherson, M-A-C-P-H-E-R-S-O-N, KeithMcPherson.ca. And there's a lot of tools and resources there um, that you can check out. There's a, a free mindfulness training on there. And I send out a daily intention every morning, a positive quote. And uh, it's just a great way to let me be a resource for you if this is resonating. I'd love to be there for, for anyone that's tuning in that needs some support here. KeithMcPherson.ca. So thank you so much, Keith. This was a wonderful our mindfully spent and uh, i know that you touched many people's hearts and lives with today and your work in general and uh, similar to what you experienced there in your gym where everyone was chanting together your song i think a lot of people are mindful together now with us during this hour so i really appreciate it well this was Thank another you. episode of empowerment radio until next time, stay kind to yourself and be mindful throughout the day. Goodbye. You've been listening to Empowerment Radio with Dr. Friedman Schaub. Join Dr. Friedman every first and third Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, as he addresses some of the most prevailing challenges of our daily lives. To learn more about how Dr. Friedman's personal breakthrough program can help you overcome fear, anxiety, and low self-esteem, visit thefearandanxietysolution.com.